This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. Great, Sonny. I got my drink in my hand, my toes in the sand, and all I need is some beautiful girls. Are you ready to do this? Van Halen, number two. Here we go. There's beaches in Atlanta? As far as I'm concerned. They're probably, wow. probably on the television set, but that doesn't matter. If you can find fireplaces to put on your television set during Christmas holiday, God damn it, you can find a beach. Wow. Okay, there's <laughs> actually real beaches here, so... Uh... Yeah, whatever. <laughs> By the way, uh, since we're doing Van Halen 2, I just wanted to say out loud, it's a very creative name. They obviously spent a lot of time coming up with the album name. It's unbelievable. We'll get into all that soon <laughs> enough because they spent equally as much time on the album cover, but we'll get there. Let's not put the horses before the carts. Let's not put the carts before the horses. Is it carts before the horses or horses before the carts? I live in California. There's no horses here. <laughs> all right. So as we've done with these uh, Van Halen episodes and we're doing with all of them this year, we're bringing on a special guest to help us get through the album review. And so this week we have who? Who do we have as our special guest? Gigliotti. Who's behind door number two? <laughs> Gigliotti. What's up, man? Well, you, well, Stephen mentioned beautiful girls. Unfortunately, you had to settle for me. So, uh, <laughs> you got stuck with me. No beautiful girls, but thank you guys. This is awesome. Thanks for having me. I love talking Van Halen. You know, I love talking Kiss, but I love taking a break from that and talking about another one of my all-time favorite bands, Van Halen. So, you know, technically, we didn't tell people you're Tommy G of the Shout It Out Loud cast because yep. people don't know what Gigliotti is. Well, now they do. So you just told them. <laughs> That's right. That beautiful voice belongs to none other than Tom from the Shout It Out Loud cast. Pull the pin of my love grenade. He's without his partner, Zeus, and it's unbelievable because I think this is probably the first time we've ever had Tom on without Zeus, and he's twitching a little bit. You guys can't see him, but we see him, and <laughs> it's okay. He'll be all right. Yeah, it's like taking like the yin and yang apart here, but uh, I'm functioning very well right now. We'll see if I can last. We're going to just see how funny his ass is on his own. <laughs> oh, Zeus is not that funny. I carry that guy on that show. Come on. <laughs> just because just because he raises his voice and drops the occasional F-bomb doesn't make him funny. <laughs> <laughs> Starts slow, gets hard. <laughs> Brutal. We got a little time to find out, that's for sure. Yep. So this uh, episode obviously is all about Van Halen 2, and we've got 
some basic facts that we're going to get into. But before we get into all that with the record, Tommy, I got to ask you, what was your introduction into Van Halen, the band? All right. So Kiss is my band, but Van Halen is one of those bands where I feel like I've been listening to their music almost as long as Kiss. They just, I can't really imagine not having to have listened to them, but I can kind of remember how it really got started and kicked it into gear. And that was when I was about eight years old, when Van Halen first appeared on the early, early days of MTV, when they weren't even videos, those, they were those concert videos of when they would do like, so this is love and unchained and all the stuff that became pretty much one of my favorite albums, which was fair warning. And I remember seeing, so this is love and unchained and all that. And I was just blown away with the stage presence at that time. When you're that young, the stage looks so huge. The crowd looks so huge. Everything is just so larger than life. And that's how I fell in love with them. And then I kind of worked myself backwards. You know, again, I was about eight or nine years old, worked myself backwards into their catalog and Van Halen just been a part of my life since day one. I feel like I know I'm a Roth guy. I'll say that just out front. I love Sammy Hagar's contributions, but to me, they're kind of a different band with him. Mm -hmm. Not bad, but just different. Yeah. What was your first record that you uh, got for Van Halen? Do you remember? I do. Yeah. I bought the cassette for fair warning and it was because I saw those videos for So This Is Love and Unchained. I went right out and I got the, it was the cassette of Unchained. That was about 81, 82. So yeah, which we now know is uh, the shots from the Oakland Coliseum concert, those four songs that they shot for that concert. Yep. And that's what a lot of bands did at that time. They didn't really have videos. So they just, they just threw in those, those concert shots, which were awesome. And you go back and watch them now on YouTube or whatever. They're still awesome. They look old because they are old, but they look great and they, they just sound really cool. Yeah. Have you seen Van Halen live with uh, Roth? I never was able to see him with Roth. I saw him with Hagar in 92, the summer. I think it was 92, I believe it was. Uh, so they were kind of supporting the For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge album. I think it might have been the Right Here, Right Now tour. Mm-hmm. I think it had like a different name. That was the album that they were kind of promoting mostly. So, Yeah. Do you remember who opened that concert? Oh, man. I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> I don't. I think I remember I saw the same tour and I'm I want to say that Alice in Chains opened that concert if I'm not mistaken. If that's right and I can't remember that, that's embarrassing because I love Alice in Chains. <laughs> yeah, cuz it would have been the uh the facelift tour, the first album. But I will say when I went to that tour, it was me and about 10 other guys from college and we remember very little of that show. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, that's crazy so that's cool uh and that's the only time that you've seen van halen live yeah that was it wow that was uh, unless you count david lee roth when he opened for kiss this year and played pretty much all van halen stuff (laughs) yeah nah it's a little bit different story yeah you know my first concert was in 88 when i saw def leppard then i saw kiss in 1990 so i kind of was late i was 15 at my first concert you know anything younger than that you know i was 11 when 1984 came out so that you know that wasn't going to happen with roth so Well, how about we get into this record? Awesome. So let's start with a few basic facts. The band at the point of this album, this album was released in March of 1979. So a little over a year after the first release, the band was $2 million in debt, which is why the label demanded such a quick follow-up album. How? 
can we talk about how, like if the first album didn't cost that much, is this all drunk, drug money? Is that what this is? Well, I think it cost a lot of money to put the band on tour and they toured a lot for that first record. And when a band's not making a whole bunch of money because they're the third band on a bill, then the record company is paying for a lot of that. Also, the record company spent some money on promoting Van Halen early on. So Van Halen didn't make it on their own. They had a lot of promotion and a lot of Warner Brothers money behind them, as noted in Noel Monk's book. So they were $2 million in debt at this point. The record company said, you guys need to get in there and make another album. They recorded this album in one week, only a year after the release of Van Halen 1. So that's pretty incredible when you think about it. They recorded the record at Sunset Sound, same place they recorded the first one in Hollywood. The length of the record is 31 minutes. The label is Warner Brothers, producer Ted Templeman. As of 2004, the album has been certified five times platinum and reached number six on Billboard. So number six on Billboard. I had to go check. Uh huh. It was May 19th of 79 when it hit number six. Uh huh. Five was Spirits Having Flown by the Bee Gees. Uh huh. Four was Minute by Minute by the Doobie Brothers. Wow. Three, we actually know Desolation Angels by Bad Company. Excellent record. Uh huh. Two was Too Hot by Peaches and Herb. <laughs> <laughs> and the number one record was Breakfast for America by oh, Super Tramp. Super Tramp. I like Super Tramp. Peaches and Herb. Nothing says it like reunited because it feels so good. The breakup we had has made me lonesome and sad. I realize I love you because I want you back. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Another little factoid, if, if I can bring the KISS tie-in here, because we love when we can tie in KISS here. So information shows that a lot of these songs that were on Van Halen 2 existed even before the release of Van Halen 1, and that most of them are part of the demos that were recorded by Gene Simmons back in 76, because we, we know we know the, the tie-in with, you know, with Eddie and Gene and all that. So I don't want to take a, a line away from what I'm sure Sonny may say about this album, but some of them do sound like demos. Yeah. <laughs> some of them sound like leftovers. <laughs> I don't know for a fact, but you said that uh, Doobie Brothers Minute by Minute was like number two or number three on Billboard. Four. Four. Yep. And that was probably produced by Ted Templeman as well, because I know he yep. was doing Doobie Brothers, so he had two records up there in the charts. He uh, was doing the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> that did not come out right. <laughs> Which Doobie you be? <laughs> Stop the show! <laughs> Oh, man. Here we go. Listen, I don't need to get into Ted Templeman's personal affairs like Sonny does. I'm just here to state facts. That's all I'm doing. That he was doing the Doobie Brothers. Those are facts. That is That's a fact. Opinion. That's an opinion. No, an opinion would be whether he was doing it good or not. Oh, God. <laughs> 
Oh, boy. Are we still talking about Van Halen? <laughs> yes, we always get <laughs> I was going to do the Ages of Rock thing. Ted Templeman, want to be on our show? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, hopefully nobody will hear this. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into the album art real quick. There's not a whole bunch of time to spend on this because basically it's the logo. And they came up mm-hmm. with that exciting name for an album, Van Halen 2. But the one cool thing, if I can say about this album artwork is as a kid, it's amazing because it is the perfect design size and shape for you to copy onto your notebooks when you were in school. So it's excellent. It's bright, it's detailed and it's huge. So you can use it for that, but, and let's be serious. Who doesn't love the Van Halen logo? Yeah. I mean, you could, you could accuse them of being lazy because, you know, we'll, we'll get into the rest of the, of the album artwork and, you know, the photos and things, but I love the logo. I love how it kind of has like the little mirrored kind of glossy uh, uh, effect. It's 3d. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to complain about it. Cause it is kind of iconic and I love that logo, but yeah. Naming the album Van Halen two. That's where yeah. I got the problem. Yeah. That's just, that, that's lazy. And I get it. We're 41 years later, but you could have named it DOA. You could have named it somebody get me a doctor. You yep. could have named it beautiful girls. Like it would have still been cool, fun, and party. You didn't have to go to Van Halen too. Naming it Van Halen too, though, is factual. So <laughs> well then why did they well then why is Van Halen three like their thirteenth album or whatever? That's not factual. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it could be. It was Van Halen three, meaning the third singer, right? Wasn't that the deal? Or Van Halen 3, it gets a 3 out of 10 rating. Wow, wow. Maybe maybe I'm being kind. (laughs) I think the logo thing is a good idea, though, because at some point, marketing has to take over, and you have to have a recognizable logo. There's a few iconic logos in rock over the last 50 years, Mm -hmm. and the Van Halen logo is one of them. Mm -hmm. That's just all there is to it, and that's probably because it started early. Mm -hmm. Taylor made for a t-shirt. Oh, for, I mean, yeah. my, my son is a huge Van Halen fan. I, he, he got into Van Halen just from hearing me listen to it. He, that's probably his favorite band. And he has a Van Halen shirt. And the only thing on it is that big logo right across the chest. It's, you know, so it's perfect for that. And you guys are aware of the controversy that they stole the logo idea from Jimi Hendrix, right? Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. it's pretty convincing when you look at that old Hendrix flyer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's uh, another couple facts about the Van Halen photo shoot for the album cover. So the black and yellow guitar on the back of the album known as the Bumblebee is buried with Pantera guitarist Dimebag Daryl, who was killed in December. Eddie Van Halen placed it in his kiss casket at his funeral because Daryl had said that it was his favorite guitar. Eddie himself stated in interviews that the guitar itself was never used on Van Halen 2. It had only been completed just in time for the photo shoots. David Lee Roth is shown in a cast in the inner sleeve because he broke his heel on the third try of a spread eagle (laughs) jump used on the back cover of a photo. If you've ever seen some of these photos, one of my favorite Van Halen photos is this photo of the band in like their rehearsal room with all this shit scattered, all these guitar parts and beer cans and all this shit scattered around. And David Lee Roth has a cane and has his foot in a cast. It's a cool picture, man. It's a really cool old picture. I would love to have that as a poster on my wall. I just think it's super cool. One more fact about the liner notes. 
The Sheraton Inn of Madison, Wisconsin is thanked in the liner notes. On Van Halen's first tour, they stayed at the hotel and destroyed the seventh floor, having fire extinguisher fights in the hallways and throwing TVs out the windows. There's your $2 million, by the way, son. Yeah, that doesn't help, right? Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. No, they blamed the incident on their tour mates at the time, Journey. They did it. They did it. <laughs> I saw Neil Sean with the TV throwing it exactly. at Steve, throwing it at Steve Perry's head. <laughs> what Wasn't a there a story? There was a story where uh what was it? David threw guacamole at Eddie and it hit Steve Perry. True story. Oh. True story. It's in Noel Monk's book. So David started the fight backstage and threw a bunch of peanuts at Eddie Van Halen. Eddie took a big old bowl of guacamole and heaved it at Dave, but completely missed Dave <laughs> and hit Steve Perry right in the head with it. And Steve Perry ran into the bathroom. Noel Monk their manager went in there to talk to Steve Perry to see if he was okay. He was wearing a brand new satin journey tour jacket that he had planned on wearing for the concert that night. And he said Steve Perry's lip was quivering and that he was about to cry. Well, Eddie Van Halen did him a favor. So now he doesn't have to wear that satin jacket on the stage. Dude, it's the late 70s, early 80s. It's I, know, I, know, I know, I know, I know. He was sure they were going to get kicked off the tour, but that's a true story. It's in uh, No Monk's book. It's hilarious. Wow. Amazing. Got to love those stories about that, that kind of stuff back then. And what a tour that would have been. Early Journey with Van Halen right there. Nice. Yeah, it was uh, Journey, Van Halen, and Montrose. Wow. Oof. Nice. Pretty cool. So that's it. It's time to get into the tracks. All right, so we'll we'll go track by track. We'll have Tommy go first, and Stephen go second, and uh, then I'll get to the next track. First one we're going to talk about is the cover "You're No Good." Tommy, your thoughts on "You're No Good"? All right, so Van Halen is—they're known for their covers. They pick unique covers, covers that you wouldn't think a band like Van Halen would do. First of all, it is a terrible opening track, in my opinion—a terrible way to follow up your album from your killer debut. Just a brutal way. If you want to put it on the album, go for it. It's a decent cover. It's kind of moody, you know, for me, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll get this general comment out of the way, you know, and I'm not breaking any ground here when I'm talking about Michael Anthony, but Michael Anthony's background vocals on this particular album for me is the standout 
on this album. I mean, in general, I love Michael Anthony. I think anybody who likes Van Halen does, but I think he's spectacular on this during the chorus. It's okay for a cover, but it's just a brutal opener. Yeah. Steven, how about you? I actually agree with Tommy. I don't love it as an opener. I don't think Van Halen altogether is really, really strong on opening tracks. And that's not that I don't love their opening tracks because I do love running with the devil, but they choose these sort of mid-tempo to lower-tempo songs. And me personally, I like to have my ass kicked out of the gate. That's just me personally. So I will make that comment. That being said, no matter what cover song Van Halen decides to do, they have a way of making it their own. And I think that they made this song their own because at the time, I don't think that I knew it was a Linda Ronstadt song or the guy who, who wrote it, which was uh, Clint Ballard Jr., who I've never heard of before. So, you know, I just thought it was a Van Halen song, a mid-tempo Van Halen song. And I thought it was okay. I, I agree with, uh, with Tommy. It's pretty ballsy to put this on this album as a cover because it's only a few years removed from it being a monster hit for Linda Ronstadt. Usually when you see bands doing covers like Van Halen or Metallica, they're covering songs that are so far removed from when they were popular that they it makes it a little easier for them to pull off the cover. But the Linda Ronstadt hit, I think it was 1975, if I recall correctly. So this, this album came out in 79. Yeah. So I, that's kind of a risk for a band for them to take. But you know, I, I just thought, thought that was an interesting choice for them. So for me, Alex has said he really didn't want to do another cover. If it were me, I'd be like, we owe $2 million to people. Why the hell do we keep doing other people's song and handing this money away? Like It makes zero sense to keep doing it if we don't need to. Tommy, I'm with you about the Linda Ronstadt thing. My guess is this is Warner Brothers saying, you know what? We almost need people to know it could have been the Linda Ronstadt song Mm -hmm. and take advantage of the people know the song to be able to sell the album. Good point. Good point. So that's possible. And then it eerily feels like Warner Brothers making like these backroom deals. I don't know that for sure, but I can imagine Hearing what I've heard about record companies, they take a healthy percentage of what's going on behind the scenes. And like Van Halen doesn't see all of the money and the songwriters don't see all the money. Like that's, that's a little weird. I think the song's just too slow. And honestly, I think the song might've been faster and Ted told him slow it down because the album's only 31 minutes as it is. And guys can't have a 22 minute album. So you're going to have to make this as slow as eerily possible. (laughs) I guess that's possible. The guitar fills that little laser tag thing he's doing that doo, doo, right mm-hmm. and then then roth starts doing it with his vocal that, okay that is wild that's the only part of the song that really really super makes the song for me so yeah I mean, you might be onto something about the selection of the song and the selection of it being an opening track maybe it was some kind of a, of a deal because it really just defies logic for a band to open up with a cover on their on their second album and the effects of the song you know it's it's slow but Roth can pull it off sometimes with some of his vocal, you know, acrobatics, you know, in this song on the, on the whole album, on this album in particular, but this song too. So it's interesting for sure. Yeah. All right. Next song is dance the night away. Tommy, in my opinion, this is okay. I'm a kiss fan, you know, rock and roll night, you know, maybe the greatest anthem, you know, in my opinion, but for me, dance the night away is the ultimate party summer good mood anthem 
I think it's impossible for somebody to not like this song. You don't even have to be a rock fan. You don't even need to be a Van Halen fan, a pop music fan, whatever. It's just one of those songs that no matter where you are, wherever I hear it, maybe I don't listen to the whole song, but if it comes on, if it comes on shuffle or if I'm hearing it on satellite radio, you can't not listen to some of it. It's just a feel good anthem. And it just reminds me of the summer. It reminds me of friends and just having a good time. And it's just iconic for a reason. And I love everything about it. If I were forced to make a complaint, it doesn't have like a real Eddie Van Halen solo on it. But I think that might be because of the type of song that it is. Yeah. Steven, your thoughts on their first top 20 hit? Freaking pop rock classic gem. This is damn near a perfect power pop song. It is freaking awesome. And I love it. The first time that you are going to hear Edward do the harmonic tapping in this song is unbelievable. And this has to be a new technique that he sort of experimented with between Van Halen 1 and Van Halen 2 because that technique appears two or three times throughout this album. And it's really cool, and I love it. I love the way it sounds. I love this song. Like you said, Tom, it's a feel-good song. How can you not shake your ass to this? How can you not think of summer and friends and partying and hanging out with this song? summer song tommy i was thinking you know think about any movie like after a murder and like the next scene is palm trees or california like this would be the song that was playing right (laughs) it's like a murder happens and it's like here's the the, you know the happy people are just fine so i was also thinking i'm like man this thing gets released in like 87 88 it could be a huge hit then i realized cocktail was released in 88. It would have been a perfect song for the soundtrack. And I don't know if you know this, but Kokomo went number one. So they actually had a number one song on the soundtrack. This thing could have been a huge hit. I think Ted and maybe the guys missed a boat on this or nobody thought about maybe putting it in cocktail, but it would have been a great song on there. I've heard this song 200 times. I have never heard David Lee Roth chuckle (laughs) until the other day. Right during the, across the room, I had never picked the chuckle up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, did he just like chuckle at himself? 
Mm-hmm. I yep. had never picked that up before. I thought it was yep. interesting. Hold that thought because we're going to talk about a chuckle a little bit later in this record. Oh, yeah. And I'm curious about it. So hold that thought. But continue. All right. The second single, Somebody Get Me a Doctor. Tom, your thoughts. Okay. Now we're getting into, so we start with You're No Good. You go into Dance the Night Away. Now you're getting into Balls Out, Eddie Van Halen riff rock right here. One of the great openings of a Van Halen song. One of the great riffs. It's such a great song. It's a short song. We talked about this all. The whole album is very, very short. They all come out, like, just come out of the gate flying, and they, they're over in less than three minutes for the most part. The only thing that's kind of weird about this song is the little bit of, like, the verses when it kind of goes into the chorus. It kind of gets itself a little disjointed. Then it kind of straightens itself out again when, when it gets into the, you know, somebody get me a doctor part. But this is just an iconic song for me. I mean, it, it's the Eddie Van Halen riff rock stuff that you want to hear from, from him. Yeah, Steven, your thoughts? This was one of the earlier Van Halen songs that they wrote. And I love it. It's a punch in the face. It's about getting high and shit like that. That's what Eddie has been quoted as saying in the past. And it's just, it's a killer riff. It's a fairly simplistic song, but... I dig the riff. I dig, I even dig the little choo-choo that Roth does in the song. You know, it's just, it's a fun song and there's nothing, I don't get tired of hearing this tune. It should have opened the record. Bingo. It should have been the record opener. Like there's no way you're no good opens up an album today and it gets away with it. Cause I don't get through half the song and I'm done with that album. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, but if somebody get me a doctor opens that album, it's like punches you right away, which that's just an opinion. Those 
volume knob swells that he's doing in the breakdown. Dude, I love those earworms. I am such a sucker for that shit. Dave Manichetti does that all the time. It gets me every time. And mm. I don't know why more people don't do it, but I love the song. I think it's great. Let's talk the ZZ Top, ZZ Top song, Bottoms Up. Dude, it sounds just like LaGrange to me. I don't know, Tommy. I got you. It's got that little groove, that little, you know, I love this song. I think this song from start to finish, it's got an unbelievable groove. It's catchy. It brings out the best in what David Lee Roth offers to Van Halen, what he brings to Van Halen. You know, this is a song that not many vocalists could pull off. I think it celebrates the good things in David Lee Roth. I think the groove is killer. The chorus is catchy. And, you know, and Stephen hinted earlier, you talk about laughing when the song kind of breaks down a little bit and they start doing the come on mama and you can, that's not just a chuckle that he's laughing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and and to me as a listener, that just puts a smile on my face too, because you can hear the whether it was on purpose or whether something was happening during the recording, it's it it signifies the kind of band that Van Halen is. They're a fun band. And I think Eddie just throws in an awesome solo as well. Yeah. Steven, your thoughts? Yeah, so I'm really super curious about what was going on during the recording of that because something, I think, went down in the studio. I haven't heard any stories. I wonder if maybe Ted Templeman can shine some light on it, but something went down in that, and I would be curious to know what it was. Maybe it was something as simple as somebody standing off to the side while Dave is singing it and flipping him off or something. Who knows? I have no clue, but I tend to at least in my fantasies, believe it's tied to a naked girl some way, somehow. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. How you doing? How you doing? I mean, you've heard stories of some of the antics with Jim Morrison in the studio. Why not David Lee Roth, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then uh, probably just by the time you get to bottoms up on this record, which is the number four song, this record already has sort of a different tone than the first one. To me, it's a little bit more fun. It's happier. Yeah, happier, right? fun. Yeah. Bottoms Up is a fun drinking song. It just is. It's, it's called Bottoms Up, for God's sakes. But, I mean, it's just, how can you not hoist one when you're listening to a tune like this? And, yeah, I get the little bit of uh, ZZ Top feel at the beginning. Uh, and they were big fans of ZZ Top, so I wouldn't be surprised if they lifted that from ZZ Top. But it really... Other than that, it doesn't remind me at all of ZZ Top, really. It's, it's just kind of their own thing. But love it, love it, love it.
So I'll start by saying I love the song because it's going to sound like I'm picking on it, but just I, I do love the song. And I agree, Tommy. Dave Swagger shines in the song. There's exactly. no doubt about it. Yeah, that. good word. Yep. I've got a story about why he was chuckling because I think what's happening is because you really only hear Dave and Mike doing the mum, 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 baby, right? So Eddie's not involved. That's because Eddie's standing in the corner either with his arms folded, right? Or he's got his hands on his head going, what the fuck are we doing? It's like, Ted, I get it. You want to add two more minutes to the album, but let's not do stupid shit. So every time they do, they're recording it, he's just like, you know, hands on his head and Dave starts laughing or something because he's getting his way. Maybe who knows? You might be right. <laughs> um, I heard two things on this thing. One that I thought I wish I was different. And then one, I thought that I hear it later. That oh, 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 later's ripped and Jamie's crying. Mm. It comes back. It's the same mm-hmm. oh, oh, oh. It's not really any different. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, how many different ways can you do oh, oh, oh? I'm just saying. Right. It's like 19 seconds of um, 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 baby, right? So Dave says it first, and then Michael joins him. Mm-hmm. The third one should have been Eddie joining him. And then a fourth one with, like, them doubled, right? So it, like, builds the whole way. That's how it would have been done in the mid-80s, probably. In oh, 78, yeah. you're not thinking about that. But in the mid-80s, that's a huge thing to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just wish that was done. But I love the song. I think it's a great party song. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think this whole album in general is one of the greatest party albums that you can find. And, like, and Stephen, I think you, you brought it up where it's a, it's vastly different from their debut album. Not in a bad way, just in a very different way. Yeah, correct. I mean, we covered the first album. And in covering that first album, we talked about some of the, I mean, there's some actually darker riffage, darker songs on that first album mm-hmm. that we pointed out. And so when you get to this album, to me, this album is where the California vibe sort of starts to shine through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Next track's Out of Love Again, Tommy. All right. So this is a song on this album that I think when people think about it or talk about it, it takes a little bit of a beating. And I think that's because in my opinion, the chorus part of it, that's the part of the song where it gets very chaotic. It gets disjointed with the groove. It kind of loses its vibe because the beginning of the song starts off with a really cool kind of shuffle beat and Eddie kind of like doing, you know, it's really not a riff. It's just him kind of, I don't know. I don't, don't want to try to recreate the sound, but it's different. And then the song kind of veers off and it gets all chaotic with Alex's drums and with him saying, you know, out of love. And then it kind of, corrects itself and gets back into that kind of that kind of groove then you kind of get that little shouting from michael anthony in the background which is cool and then you get this really you know surprising like little alex van halen like drum solo in the middle of the song which is amazing so i think people's instinct is to think oh, out of love again that song's a disaster and there are parts of it that are but if you listen to the entire song i enjoy it because of the other parts that are in it
Stephen, your thoughts on Out of Love again? Yeah, I totally get what you're saying, Tommy. It is a little bit of a loose feel. I love the Michael Anthony bass. It reminds me at the beginning of this song of Motorhead. If you listen to it, it has that Motorhead feel at the beginning. I love the groove that the song kind of falls into. So, yes, I can see where people think it's really loose and it could be a a disaster. Yeah, I thought the beginning of it felt like this futuristic, cheesy movie beginning. It's like a kind of a weird beginning. I will tell you, I love the funk in the song. I, I love it that it's it's got that funk to it. You know, there's a rumor that Eddie wanted to put synthesizers on the song. Like he was ready to do synthesizer in 79 and Ted's like, you're not doing that. It's just too many instruments doing too many different things at the same time, right? So one of my favorite bands, the Winery Dogs, like Richie, Billy, and Mike, they are careful that when they're doing things, that it is somewhat in unison. Otherwise, it sounds like a hot mess, heck of quick. There's absolutely no doubt. And when they're off, you can tell they're off. These guys, it was almost as if they all wanted to show you what they could do at the same time. And if you just lit it up a little bit and clean up the backgrounds as each person's doing their thing, I think it would have just flowed a little bit better. I like the funk, though. I'm glad that they're putting funk into it. It's okay. It wasn't one of my favorite songs on the album, to be honest. The other thing that I really like about this tune, too, that I forgot to mention is I like Dave's delivery on some of these verses, and I like the hollerback background vocals. You know, the, did you? Yes. You know, that's kind of cool, like that whole thing. But yeah, it comes back to the groove, to your point, Sonny. Yeah, yeah. Talk about uh, dumpster fires. Uh, let's talk about light up the sky, uh, Tommy. You can't fix stupid. I'm going to pretend you're joking. <laughs> you have I to be joking not, about light up the sky I as a not dumpster joking. fire. I am not joking. Wow. See, I am so glad I'm here right now so that I can. You think light up the sky is a dumpster fire, but not out of love again. You could erase light up the sky off of Van Halen's song list. You can. You can just basically delete it from history, and nobody would care. You can't fix stupid. Okay, here I come in to save the day. Okay, because I, honestly, I thought you were messing with me when you said that. Because to me, light up the sky is a borderline Mount Rushmore Van Halen oh. song for me. I'm not kidding. I have that written down on my notes here. The way that the song begins and then it kicks in and it's got that killer mid to upper tempo Van Halen. It's got the chugging guitar and it's got the riff. Then David Lee Roth just comes screaming into the verses. All right. Then you get the chorus. Okay. Then my favorite part about this song is how it kind of slows down a little bit. You get David Lee Roth kind of singing, you know, a little bit high, light up the sky, light up the sky. Then the guitars and everything kind of swoop back in. You can really hear Michael Anthony saying, light up the sky, light up the sky. And the song just absolutely rips. Burn. And it was the way the beauty, but you never get love. Cross the line, but none return. 
say it's a dumpster fire is shocking to me, but I can't get enough of this song. I just love it. Sonny has always hated this song, and he hates it even worse after he heard the freaking tribute version of oh. this song that was really, really not good. Who did it? Doug Pennock sang it, and it was not good. Okay. It just it, it wasn't good, but... I'm different than Sonny on this song, and so I'll give you my take on this song. These two songs, meaning Out of Love Again and Light Up the Sky, back to back, are partly metal for Van Halen. I mean, these are two pretty heavy songs. I absolutely love Dave's voice in the breakdown of Light Up the Sky. I love it when he gets kind of soft, but he has that nice rasp to his voice, Light Up the Sky is a classic. I don't know if it's a Mount Rushmore Van Halen song for me personally, but I like this song quite a bit. So, suck it, Pony. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I agree it's one of the heavier songs on the record. I agree that the solos and riffs are awesome. Just making it instrumental. Because the vocal melody (laughs) is just meh. Dave is whiny. I don't think I like the serious Dave. I want the fun Dave. Again, who, do we need another 25-second drum solo? I, I get it. The record's only 31 minutes, and we're trying to add shit. But the song's just not good. I'm sorry. The song is not good. Wow. All right. In your opinion. You can't fix stupid. Which is correct. Oh, God. Anyways, Spanish Fly is next. Now, before I ask Tommy what his thoughts are about Spanish Fly, I also want you to give me your thought on the beginning half a second. Is that a grunt? Is that a sigh? Is that a fly? Is that somebody rubbed his, you know, guitar on the microphone? Like, what is that? What do you think it is, Tom? It's hard to tell because it sounds like it could be any of the things that you just mentioned. It's yeah. it's hard to tell. It sounds like something with with somebody being maybe being too close to the microphone because it's an it's an instrumental. I don't know. It sounds weird. But that being said, look, we talk about this sunny sometimes when we do our our bonus episodes. I love instrumentals. I'm just a fan of music in in general. So I like instrumentals, whether they're long or short, or this is creative. It doesn't really belong on the album. It's clearly a filler. And it's not something that I would you know want to hear from Eddie Van Halen, especially after he had eruption on the first album and then he puts this on. It's cool. I like the sound of it. You know, it's it's quick, it's over and you know, less than a minute, maybe. But yeah, it's it's there to just take up some space. Yeah, and Steve, we've talked about this a little bit before. Is this just like the hit ballad in the eight, mid eighties, you got to write the next hit ballad. Is this Ted going, Hey, we need the next eruption. People are going nuts about that. I think it partly is, but here's my take on this whole thing. First of all, let me address the beginning thing. Cause I can't really tell other than the fact that to me, it sounds like they caught Edward in the middle of something and he, you know, maybe, maybe they asked him if he's ready and he said something and it kind of cut off because it does sound like Ed saying something. I will say that this whole one minute solo sounds like a single mic in the room on one take because you can hear him moving around in the chair when he's playing this. So I think that it's amazing. I bet it's a one take, one mic thing, and they recorded it. I love it because it's an acoustic guitar, and you've never heard certain sounds out of an acoustic guitar like Eddie. Did he recreate some of the uh, eruption stuff? Sure, he did. But again, he's experimenting with the harmonic tapping. He's got that going on in the beginning. 
And I just think it's awesome. It sounds great. It's a minute long. Yes, Ted Templeman said, you're a guitar god now, so let's continue that trail of guitar godness and put these instrumentals. Maybe it's just Eddie saying, look, I'm a musician. I'm all about playing guitar. I'm going to put a solo on this record. I don't know which, but I think it's a combination of all of it. And I know a lot of people really love this solo, and I'm one of them. a story in my head because I'm attaching it to, I think it's a sigh at the beginning. And what I think is happening is somebody's trying to egg them on. This is just a made up story, obviously. <laughs> Ted's trying to egg them on or Dave's trying to egg them on saying, hey, people think you can only do that shit plugged in and that all the pedals and shit create all the <laughs> tricks, right? And he's just like, give me that guitar. <sighs> and then he just starts going, right? And then they hit tape, the record. Okay, we're done. We're good. Uh, go ahead and move on to the next thing. I think it's great. I'm with you, Tommy. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it needs to be. But I guess if the album is only 31 minutes, you need something. <laughs> well, I was going to say the last time I heard this, I think it was in Tijuana at like a show that involved a donkey. And Who'd want to see something like that? Me, Dante, you, Kinky Kelly and the Sexy Stud. Straight from their dirty debut in Tijuana, Kelly's taking it on the road. Forget it. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but what, You've but not been to those shows, I'm assuming. And I have not. No. Although I have been to I have been to Mexico, but I've never I haven't I didn't I missed one of those shows when I was there. So don't let him kid you. That wasn't Tijuana. That was Sonny Pooney's house on a Saturday night. <laughs> a donkey, two midgets, and some fire breathing dragons. It's all oh, happening. God. Yikes. But what I, real quick before we move on to the next song, what I think is interesting about this song is that I could see if you want to prove yourself that you can do some acoustic noodling, but you're Eddie Van Halen. You just had eruption. Do the acoustic noodling, then go into like eruption part two. You know what I mean? That's just me as a fan, what I would have wanted to hear, but I get why it, why he did it. But two things. Remember, it's still Eddie Van Halen is still growing his, his aura at this point. It's mm -hmm. only album number two. So he's yep. still on his way up as a guitar god. And uh, the second thing is, is that, um, yeah, I completely forgot where I was going with the second thing. I have a brain fart. That's good. What the hell is it? <laughs> Mr. Fields? What? Uh, hi, I'm, I'm Jerry Seinfeld. The agency sent me. The agency? What agency? The CIA? <laughs> no, no. The, uh, the uh, who senior... let you in here? Uh, the, the woman. Oh, she... her. She steals from me. <laughs> steals my money. She said she doesn't speak English. My ass, she doesn't speak English. Plays that freaking voodoo music. Tries to hypnotize me. I'm an old man for crying out loud. You're going to kill an old man, you coward. That's good. Nobody else said nothing, and he faked himself out. 
It's like making a basketball move and falling over. Like, it's, like like kid, it, it's, it's like when you're cruising down the freeway, you just blow a tire. <laughs> Either that or you're just old as shit and can't remember. <laughs> but you can remember that you were going to say something, but you can't remember what the something was. That is awesome. What are we even talking about? <laughs> Where am I? I'm an old man. My wallet's gone. My wallet's gone. <laughs> Are we talking about a band? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's get to the next song, which I've labeled the original Wanted Dead or Alive. Classic, classic Van Halen, killer riff. Love everything about the song. To me, would have probably been more at home on the debut album. It's very, very heavy. It's very dark. You know, found a dirty face kid in a garbage can. The lyrics, it's like, it's like we just went from like a, like these great party songs to this, which I love. I'm not complaining. I think it's great. It, the, it's got a, a great chorus. The song is, is excellent. But one thing that I love about this song, and it's, it's such David, it's so David Lee Roth. As the song is kind of wrapping up at the end, I've always loved, I don't know why, I don't know why, I don't even know what it means, but I love when he just says, I'm a spark on the horizon. And then all of a sudden the song just starts, speeds up, and then he starts doing like that war cry at the end. That, ah, it's just a great way to wrap up a killer song. It's one of the reasons why I love David Lee Roth. Yeah, Steve, your thoughts? Yeah, so it's awesome because Van Halen has a way of taking like you said, kind of this darker lyrical content, dirty face kid in a garbage can. But two things, he's not using the darker chords on this song, so it doesn't sound so dark. 
And then the other thing is, is those damn background vocals singing the chorus. Pretty this song up. They are so good, man. But here's the other thing. I remember what the other thing that I was trying to remember was that I forgot and had a brain fart on is that we talk. <laughs> it's going off the rails now. We talk about Van Halen albums at 30, 31 minutes, but that's pretty much all the early Van Halen records. And I really love that. I don't know about you guys, but when we've been listening to these records and getting ready to review them, it's a really nice, quick listen, 30, 31 minutes, and you get through the whole record, and you don't feel like you've listened too much. And and in fact, in a lot of ways, it kind of left you wanting more. Yeah, I don't got a problem with the length of the record. I, I got a problem with wasting time with stupid shit. It's like, put another <laughs> song in. You know what I mean? I don't care. I don't care if the record's actually 28 minutes. Leave all the stupid shit out, right? Like, it doesn't matter to me. This whole thing, like, first of all, Roth is the only one that can rhyme policeman and garbage can. Like, there isn't anybody else that can do that. There is no doubt about that. Hell yeah. Now, if I didn't know that this thing was recorded in a week, I'd probably just let it go. But knowing that it's been recorded in a week, that whole repeating a combination of the first and second verse and the third verse is a little lazy. Like, it's like, dude, just write some lyrics. Come on, dude. Really? Yeah. Right? So, but if I didn't know that, I guess I wouldn't care. And I'll tell you, to me, this is one of the best guitar solos ever in any kind of music. It's DOA is unbelievable. It's a great song. Absolutely. Yep. All right. So when we get to Women in Love, you also have to answer the question, is it a power ballad? Tommy. Uh, God, no. You guys have this argument all the time. This isn't even on the same planet as a power ballad. No, 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 no. That's a whole separate episode, <laughs> potential live stream topic, perhaps. But women in love. I'm confused by certain people who like legitimately have a hate for this song. I, I don't get it. I'm looking at you, Sonny, and I'm talking to you, Steve Wright, our other buddy there. I don't get it. Okay, I'm not going to try to convince you that it's a great Van Halen song. I love the intro. I love the little plucking at the beginning with, with Eddie. And then the drums come in and then it's just got kind of like this, like it, it's to me, for lack of a better word, it's just like a breezy little Van Halen song. It's like a, like another good mood, slow tempo, lazy kind of chill out song. And I don't understand the hate for it. This is another song where to me, and I've said it previously, Michael Anthony is just spectacular on this, just carries the song. And he's uh, real. <laughs> yeah, and he's yeah. real. Yeah. But I just... I don't understand the hate for this song. Again, I'm not going to try to convince you it's it's a top hit, but I'm 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 a fan. Steven, should I even ask what you think about this song? Yeah, so the hate only comes from Steve Wright. God dang it, Wrighty is dumb. Uh, Sonny, we'll get to you. You're an idiot too. So, I mean, I'm with you, Tommy. This is this is their attempt at getting as close as they can to a ballad for Van Halen at the mm -hmm. time. So much like on the first album with Little Dreamer, that was their attempt on the first album. This, to me, is so much better in terms of melody and songwriting. I love, again, I know that this is a theme, but it is a theme throughout this record. I love the harmonic tapping at the beginning. I love the feel of the melody. So when it comes out of that harmonic tapping part into this nice kind of breezy riff, where he's, you know, picking the chords and it's really nice and it feels really good. 
and all these crazy women. I love the pre-chorus and the chorus to this song. This song, there's nothing wrong with this song. Again, it's is it the best Van Halen song ever? No, not not in my book, but I like this song quite a bit, and I I don't understand all the hate either. don't need i don't know what righty's problem is with it i'm sure it's similar i don't need i think he gets intimidated by any song that has love in it he's got a key he's got to maintain his rock credibility i think because you know, uh, halloween doesn't have songs with love in it yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> i don't need ozzy i don't need stephen piercy honestly i don't need goddamn brett michaels or david lee roth singing anything slow it just does not sound good even the backing vocals to me didn't save this song now that intro Eddie has said in interviews, he was very, very proud of that intro. I think that intro is amazing. I think that intro is better than Spanish Fly. I'm glad it was in front of the song. Dave is the problem here. It's just not a style vocal that I like hearing Dave sing. Now, the lyrics are interesting because I thought he starts with Marge. You're breaking my heart. I don't know who the fuck Marge is. But then there's other people that say, it's my heart. You're breaking my heart. But he's saying my heart so fast that it sounds like Marge to me. I will give you this, Sonny. This is not a standout track for David. It's not. But 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 I think there's so many other things going on in the song that I enjoy that it, it allows me to kind of put that to the back burner. But you're right. If you're focusing on on him, this is not his his strength, this song. I'll give you that. A lot of people don't know that David wrote the lyrics for an old friend. And so he's singing Large Marge. You're breaking my heart. And it's about a former girlfriend, Large Marge. That was her name. David dated her in high school. 
Uh, and yeah, okay, I made all that up, but it seemed like the right thing to say at the time. <laughs> nice. Oh boy, this is Ozzy's so tired to me. That's what. That's oh what I hear. Oh my God, you're freaking crazy. This is what that's what I hear. Oh, you're so. exactly why the doctor says don't put cigarette butts in your ear, butthead. <laughs> wow. Okay. God. All right. So let's talk about the final track, the third single, "Beautiful Girls," Tommy great way to finish off an album another classic riff a party anthem a song that again i'll kind of said it about dance the night away you don't have to be a van halen fan you don't have to be a rock fan but i challenge somebody to listen to this song and tell me that it's not good and that it's not catchy it's van halen roth era in in a nutshell and there's really not too much you can say for it other than it's just it's just classic for a reason it's one of those songs that Sammy would have killed also. It, I agree David with that. Roth could have done it later, right? So, Stephen, your thoughts on Beautiful Girls? My notes were simply this. This song is Van Halen, California, and the beach all rolled up into one. This is the song for me that solidified that summer vibe that Van Halen sort of had. Yeah, I absolutely love this song. This is one of my favorites. Van Halen tunes probably of their entire catalog. Not my favorite, but one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, again, Dave's the only one that can write what a snappy little mammy gonna keep her pappy happy. Like, there isn't anybody else writing that shit. And I actually making it sound good, too. Uh, the song is outstanding. So for some reason, I was thinking about movies. I must have been wanting to watch a movie or something. So I was thinking, 
all right, so there's two, we've seen all these kind of movies where there's two guys, one's kind of down on his luck and one's like the luckiest guy in the world, right? So one guy's got money, big house, nice clothes, naked, beautiful girls all over the place. And of course, beautiful girls is playing in the background. The other guy, bad neighborhood, apartment with cockroaches, nothing in the fridge, no money, no job. My wife just left him. And of course, like suicides playing in the background. Oh, so, you know, that's kind of how it oh, You got to make a sound garden joke. <laughs> God damn you. See, is that, the, is that the only reason you asked me to come on here? <laughs> I knew I would get you with that. God damn you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's a killer way to end the album. There is absolutely no doubt. No yeah. doubt at all. Absolutely. So overall thoughts on the album, Tommy. I'm a huge fan of the Roth era. Uh, and Van Halen two is just to me consistent. It offers a lot of different things from Roth era Van Halen. It's got the party songs, but then it's got the the heavy rockers. It's got the light up the sky and the DOA. So I think it gives you a really good snapshot of what the band can offer you. Everybody loves the debut album, but I think this one has a little bit more of a mix of the different styles. And I think you get the full Roth era Van Halen picture with Van Halen two. Yeah, and give me your top two, bottom two on this. Top two for me? Okay, yeah. top two is Light Up the Sky and probably DOA. But that's tough because I love Beautiful Girls a lot, but if you're going to force me to pick two, it's definitely Light Up the Sky and probably DOA. And what's the bottom two? Bottom two for me would probably be You're No Good and probably Out of Love Again. Yeah. And, and I will say this, Dance the Night Away for me, the fatigue factor we talk about a lot when we talk about kiss it's like rock and roll all night it's not that i don't love the song but the song is just so good that i feel like i don't even need to rank it in my top two because it's just there and and we say that when we talk about kiss or you know any of your favorite bands it's it's a song that you, you that will always be with you and that you'll always love but yeah steven your top two bottom two and thoughts on the, the total album uh, my thoughts on the total album is that I can recall this record getting a whole lot of play for me out of the Van Halen catalog when I was growing up. So I like this record quite a bit. It's a little bit of a departure from the first record because it's got that. To me, this is the first time that the sort of California vibe really slips into Van Halen music, the party vibe. Not that they didn't party or have any of that stuff on the first record, but I think it's more present on this record. So I really like this record a lot. My top two songs, uh, I was only prepared for one, but my top two songs are probably Somebody Get Me a Doctor and Beautiful Girls. Although it's really hard because I'm a big fan of Bottoms Up and Dance the Night Away and all that stuff, DOA. So that's a tough one. But on the spur of the moment, somebody get me a doctor, beautiful girls, and probably my throwaway song, uh, not my throwaway, but my least liked song is going to be You're No Good and maybe Out of Love Again. That's probably going to be it for me. When you're doing the edit and you're listening back, you might want to kind of edit or listen to when you said beautiful girls and when you said it was hard. Just kind of. Anyway. Um, okay. So my top two, God, it's the night away and beautiful girls. My bottom is definitely women in love and light up the sky. I just don't like those two songs all the way light around up the sky. God damn you. Poonie. Don't <laughs> all the time to me. I think the album is definitely peppier than the first one. Uh, there's no doubt about that. It's got a little more 
uh, it's got that funk that the first one didn't have really at all. So you kind of feel that funk, and it's just it, the, the funk was in a song I don't absolutely love. But uh, a great album, and uh, I like the short albums. I got no problem with short albums at all. So it, it's nitpicking. Like when you, this didn't sell five million albums by mistake. There's a reason it sold five million albums. There's no doubt about it. And I have no fatigue on Dance the Night Away or Beautiful Girls at all. Yeah. So so you prefer the 31 minute Van Halen album over the 80 minute Metallica album? Yes. Because okay. I can tell Metallica exactly which eight songs to cut out, make that thing an AP and give me 30 minutes. <laughs> but you're right, though. Trying to critique Van Halen, too, is it's, it's like you're looking for things to pick on yeah. for the most part, for the yeah. most part. Tommy, I think Sonny hit the nail on the head. So is it going to be martinis for you or razor blades? Wow. Uh, I guess martinis I'd prefer, <laughs> you know, those are nice drinks. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. No razor blades. I need to keep this head nice and shiny as you can see right now. So I don't know. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> All right. Well, we always try to connect it with kiss. So, uh, let's take a listen to this. You wanted the best and you got the best. The hottest man in the world. Kiss. It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. Okay, so 1979, Kiss releases Dynasty. All right? And I don't know. I was into looking at charts. So Dynasty, the highest it got was number nine. And it was on July 21st of 79. So here were the top eight. It's just fun to listen to some of these. <laughs> number eight was Back to the Egg by Wings. Ooh. Number seven was Ricky Lee Jones self-titled. Number six was Candy O by the Cars. That's a tough one to compete with. Five was Discovery by ELO. Four was Cheap Trick at Budokan by Cheap Trick. Can you imagine Paul can't beat Cheap Trick and how that made him feel? I can only imagine. Number three was I Am by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Paul's reacting to that by doing an Earth, Wind, and Fire song and really pissing them off. Two is Breakfast in America by Super Tramp. And one is Bad Girls by Donna Summer. Wow. <laughs> right. Oof. So that was the top nine. Nine was Dynasty in July of 79. And I wanted to pick this song to play because it's interesting. Only two of the band members play on this song. So Paul's doing the guitars, including the lead. Gene's playing the bass, but Anton is playing drums, and I don't think Ace is anywhere to be found. Here's Magic Touch.
I like Magic Touch. It's one of the songs I like on uh, Dynasty. I don't love the whole record, but I like that song. You got a problem with Dynasty? I don't have a problem with Dynasty. I just don't love the whole record. Wow. There's not a lot to hate on that record. I'm going to spoil some stuff here because we're not on my Kiss show here. We're on your show. So Dynasty, to me, top tier album in their catalog for me. Now, that being said, and it baffles me when I see this on social media with the Kiss fans out there, that I am way on an island here because to me, Magic Touch has always been my least favorite song off of Dynasty. Really? I think the verses of that song plod along the chorus. There's nothing going on there. I I, I struggle to find the lo- Every other song on that album has some kind of rhythm, some kind of beat, whether you want to call it disco or whatever. Magic Touch just exists to just, it's like this clodding plotting nothing song and it blows me away that people like oh i wish kiss would play this paul was fantastic on it he's not you like 2000 man better i love ace I, it's, I, not, it's not 2000 man i got the problem with this x-ray eyes that i got the problem <gasps> see to me x-ray eyes standout track on that album oh my god dude just yep. hang up on this fuck <laughs> This is why we're but this is why we're Everything friends. Edit him out completely out of the episode. God. But here's the thing about Dynasty. So since we've been doing the podcast, I came into podcast and not liking Dynasty at all. I wasn't a big fan. Sonny's actually the one that got me to start listening to it and giving it more chances. And I do like it. I was I, I was wrong. I mean, I was wrong when I didn't like it. I don't know what my issue was with that. But I think that's a solid record. I mean, I get some of the criticism, but I don't hate it. There's some good stuff on that record. Now, we're talking about one of my all-time favorite Kiss records. So even the, even my least favorite song on one of my all-time favorite Kiss records is still a song that I enjoy. To me, it's just amazing how many people just drool over it. And I, th- I just don't get it. I just don't get it. But what are you going to do? All right. Well, this has been a fun episode. So that brings us to the end of this uh, Van Halen 2 album review. Uh, Like I've said many times over, we're going to be taking the year of 2021 and going through each of the 12 studio albums for Van Halen. Every episode, we're going to invite a special guest along and we'll release one episode a month. So at this point, we've released two episodes, Van Halen 1, Van Halen 2. Next up will be Women and Children First, and we'll have to wait and see who our guest is for that, but it's fun. Thank you so much, Tommy, for coming on and doing this with us. We appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, Always love talking music with you guys, and uh, especially Van Halen, Sonny, Steve, thanks for having me. Love it. Tell us uh, a little bit about what you got coming up as far as podcast. When do you guys release that kind of information? So we, we drop our episodes every Saturday and our show is, is week to week. So right now, the only thing that we know that we have planned is next week episode. And with our listeners, we try to keep everything kind of hush hush. We put out some teasers on our social media and then we just drop the episode on a Saturday. Uh, we mix it up with album reviews, top tens, drafts, special guests, uh, if we can get, you know, maybe an author occasionally there. So, yeah, if you're a Kiss fan, we have a blast. Me and my buddy Zeus, uh, we just celebrated our 100th episode uh, in December. Uh, we were lucky enough to have the great Bruce Kulik and Chris Jericho on that on that episode. So, yeah, if you're a Kiss fan, check us out. Even if you're not a Kiss fan, we just have a ton of fun on the show. Uh, we talk about Kiss from a, a, a very different perspective. So give us a look. We are the Shout It Out Loudcast, and the episodes drop every Saturday. Awesome. Sonny, you have anything to add before we get out of here? 
Thanks for listening. Thanks for all the feedback. Yes, Women in Love is not a good song. Oh, God, Poony. Sonny is a woman in love. <laughs> and with that, I leave you. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.